It's a bonus podcast day here on the Pigskin Dispatch as Josie Emba will join me to pick the NFL's greatest players that wore the number 18 jersey. And we'll have a top 10 coming up for you in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we're podcasting from the Pigpen in Western Pennsylvania to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff supplying us with the tunes, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com, and you have another great bonus edition of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast with the Football by Number series. And tonight we're going to discuss the greatest NFL players to wear the number 18 that was selected with our expert help of football historian and author and podcast host, Joe Ziemba. Joe Zieba, welcome back to the Pigpen. Darren, always a pleasure to be here. Some of the topics you bring up are so outstanding, and it's also great that we're we're looking at some of these players who wore the great number, whether it be for one year or for a decade. So we'll take a look at some of those today and maybe encounter a few surprises along the way. Well, that's what we're here to do, to preserve that football history and uh, let our listeners enjoy it with us, because it's quite a ride. And uh It is a really good time, and I enjoy having you here, and I'm glad you could join us again. Thank you. I guess where we always start is we start with what the Pro Football Hall of Fame tells us, and they share that there are seven Hall of Fame players that the Hall of Fame says wore the number 18 at some point during your NFL careers. And I'm just going to read their names off uh, briefly here, and we'll get into more discussion on them in a little bit. But we have Peyton Manning, Charlie Joyner, Randy Moss, Emmett Thomas, Len Dawson, Pete Fats Henry, and Walt Keesling. Some big names on that list. There are. Maybe we can start out with the last name you mentioned, Walt Keesling. Sure. I've got a trivia question for you. All right. We like these. Maybe I'll give you the answer first. Then you can give me the question. Oh, little Alex Trebek on us here. So the answer is Johnny Unitas. Ah, and it has something to do with Keesling, huh? Yeah, in fact, Walt, when he was a coach, cut John Unitas. He didn't think he was good enough to play back in 1955. Oh, God, as a Steeler fan, I'm very embarrassed I didn't answer that. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, as a Steeler fan, you might know that Walt was also the only person who ever coached the Steelers on three different occasions throughout his career. Oh, I I did not know that. He spent uh, 36 years in the NFL, both as a player and a coach, and before getting elected to the Hall of Fame in 1966. But he was uh, kind of an enjoyable guy. I, of course, liked him because he played for the Chicago Cardinals way back when. But he started out with a team called the Duluth Eskimos, which played all their games on the road. No one wanted to go to Duluth in the late fall and early winter, I guess, for some reason. Well, with a name like Eskimos, I don't know if I blame him. Sounds yeah. a little chilly. <laughs> <laughs> it would be cold up there. But yeah, he was an all-pro player for uh, three or four years. Played for the Packers 36 championship team. Uh, but he also uh, had a great record as a coach. I shouldn't say great record. He had the misfortune to be named as the coach when the Pitt, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers had a join with the Eagles and then the Cardinals. 
in the 40s during the war. And so he had some really bad teams that brought down his career record. But the fact that he spent almost four decades active in the NFL, starting as a player with the, the Duluth Eskimos and continuing on as a coach, uh, shows the longevity of Walt before he was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Ah, okay. So that must be, so he was a, the head coach of both the, the Cardinals Pittsburgh, a combination one year and the Pittsburgh Philadelphia Eagles combination and then the Steelers. Is that his three times of being a yes, Steelers correct. coach? Uh-huh. Ah, okay. All right. Now it makes sense. Okay. And he was a coach of the Steelers before the combination teams and then went back to the Steelers after the combination teams. So that poor guy really had to go through it. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> they must've really liked them. He did, yes. Or maybe they couldn't get anybody else. Who knows? (laughs) I guess part of his problem with Johnny Unitas was he uh, won't like to run the ball, and these quarterbacks like to throw the ball for some reason, and he just couldn't see it. So uh, I think that might have led to his downfall as a coach eventually in the NFL. I I think you might be right. Uh, There was also a a quarterback in place there was a pretty good uh, Mr. March Broda was was there. That's right. Yes. And I think Len Dawson might have been on that roster at one point. I'm not sure if he was the same time as uh, as um, um, Mr. Unitas, but. I, I think that was quite a quarterback room that the Steelers let go and kept a March yeah, of Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As you mentioned, Len's another one of those uh, hall of famers back to 87, uh, another great career. He still holds the Kansas city chiefs records for, um, I believe in yardage, passing yards and touchdowns, even though he hasn't played since what the seventies, I think. So uh, quite a quarterback. But uh, yeah, he started out with the Steelers for, I think, three seasons, three or four seasons, and then went to Cleveland, then went to Dallas Texans, which became the Kansas City Chiefs. And he found a little bit of success there. He did, yeah. For a guy who really, his first five years in the league, hardly even got into a game and then to end up being a Super Bowl MVP and being elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, I think the American Football League helped his career quite a bit because he was able to play there and won three championships and just put up uh, a lot of big numbers. And of course, the combination of the two leagues, over 28,000 yards in his career, which is quite amazing. So well-deserved Hall of Fame pick. Yeah, most definitely. Now, most people will look at it and uh, Len Dawson wore number 16 with Kansas City and they retired his number 16 jersey there. As a matter of fact, even uh, Joe Montana, who was a famous 16, when he went to Kansas City, he wasn't unable to uh, get that, that number 16 because Dawson retired it. And I believe mm. Joe ended up wearing 19 for his yeah. Kansas City. So interesting. Yeah, good quarterback. All right. Hey, while uh, we're talking about uh, quarterbacks, there's another interesting quarterback from the AFL named Frank Trapuca. And okay. the reason I was going to talk to him is he's just one of those guys who was around for a long, long time and started as a journeyman. But with a couple of interesting things happening in his career, uh, played for Detroit, then went to the Cardinals for a couple of years. And his career never really took off. He got a few starts uh, with the Cardinals and then went to Dallas when the new, excuse me, this is before the AFL started uh, with Dallas. And then when the league started, he was with Denver uh, for a few years. But the interesting thing about his career, again, this is Frank Trapuca, number 18, was 
after not really making it in the NFL, he went up to Canada. And again, his career kind of slowed down and he became a coach of uh, Saskatchewan, I believe. And during a strange year uh, when he was coach, I believe the, the top three or four quarterbacks he had all got hurt. And there's no one to turn to. And so Frank, even though he was uh, a little older, became the quarterback of the team. But what was ironic about it is the Canadian League at the time had a limit of 12 Americans that could play on the roster. And they had already handed in. And his name was not on there because he was the coach. So even though he won a game as quarterback, they had to forfeit the game uh, oh, because no. he was ineligible, so to speak. So again, he thought his career was over. And then this new league started. A buddy of his said, hey, come on down to Texas. Uh, you won't play much, but we need a guy with some experience to help out a little bit. Uh, and I said Texas. I apologize. It must be on my mind. Warmer weather, perhaps. <laughs> uh, Denver. So uh, Denver uh, was so tight in those early days that when the players showed up, they had no long, long sweatpants or sweatshirts. They were wearing shorts and the weather was still kind of cold. It was cold during the season, so he said they were kind of tight there. Uh, in training camp, which was held at the Colorado School of the Mines in Golden, Colorado, the dormitory was an old gym, so they didn't have private rooms or double rooms. And Frank said at the time they just had a bunch of cots with a few nails in the wall to hang your clothes on. But he ended up becoming the starting quarterback down there and claims he was the first guy to throw for 3,000 yards. Uh, beating Johnny Unitas, who we just mentioned by uh, by a couple of weeks, he said. But he had 14 games, and he said Johnny Unitas only had 12. But that was a guy, again, who, who came back and resurrected his career two or three times to, to play. So uh, Frank Trapuke is on our list. I don't know if he'll make our top 10, but some interesting stories there. Yeah, I'm looking at his stats. I mean, actually, his best three years as a pro in uh, the NFL or AFL was in Denver, uh, 60, 61, and 62 uh, yeah, through, yeah. for 3,000 yards one year, just under 1,700, and just missed it in 3,000 uh, in 1962. So, yeah, he really rebounded well. Yeah, and they, uh, he said at the time he took a big pay cut to go to, go to Denver, uh, but he said because the season was so strong, they not only made up the $10,000 he lost, but gave him a $5,000 bonus at the end of the year. Wow, that's a nice little chunk of changes for that era. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, yeah, definitely under consideration. I'm not sure if he'll make it, but that's a great story <laughs> on Trapuca. Okay, uh, we still have one uh, old-timer uh, from the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, Pete Henry, who wore the number 18 I show for one season in 1923. Yeah. He played, uh, well, for Canton from, uh, I mean, that was the year he wore the jersey, did you say? I'm sorry. Uh, he he wore it in 1923. He was playing for Canton, yes. Yes, he, he, right. He wore uh, many different numbers for Canton, it <laughs> looks like. He did, yes. And he was around again for a long time uh, before his Hall of Fame. He was one of the, uh, I believe, the first in, uh, inductees in 1963. But uh, played for Canton, the New York Giants, the Pottsville Maroons. But I have a good trivia question about Fats. Okay. Uh, Fats Henry, and, and he was a tackle. He was a little heavier, although certainly not. A, well, he was 5'11", 245, which is big for those days. But he was also a kicker for all the teams he was with. And during college one time, he blocked a punt, ran it down, and scored the touchdown, kicked the extra point. 
and then kicked two field goals in that game for all 13 points and a 13-7 to win for his team, which was unusual because a lot of people scratch their heads and be difficult to remember a time when a tackle scored all the points for a team in a game. Absolutely. I don't think you'll see that happen too much anymore in today's game. That's for sure. <laughs> now, I believe he was uh, – we've, we've covered him on some other numbers, but I believe that the same day in uh, – Ralph Hayes Hutmobile showroom, the Canton Bulldogs also signed uh, Pete uh, on that same day to play oh, on their team. Did not know that. He yes. had a, uh, when he was a duck, inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, quite a few accolades came his way. Uh, George, uh, George Hallis said, was there ever a better tackle than Fats Henry? Yes, Henry was the best. And then Walter Camp, who was considered the father of American football, said Henry was the finest lineman I ever saw. So it was uh, a guy who we don't have statistics on. I haven't seen him play. And I don't know if you have, Darren, but uh, back in the 20s. But <laughs> no, I think I just uh, have to go them. by some of this, <laughs> some of these, <laughs> some of these quotations by telling uh, what a great player he was. Well, yeah, if you get endorsements uh, from Hallis and Walter Camp, uh, that's that's good enough for me. That's that's yeah. pretty. Doesn't get much better than that. That's for sure. All right, uh, who do we want to go to next on our list? Uh, your your choice. Let's see. There's plenty of good ones on here. All right, well, let's go to another one that it's not in the Hall of Fame, but maybe will be under consideration. How about Roman Gabriel? Oh, man, yes, yes. Yeah, I, I just had no idea the numbers he put up. Wow. <laughs> yeah, quite impressive, uh, for especially his area. Now, he played from uh, 1962 all the way to 1977, which that kind of surprised me. I didn't realize the longevity yeah. of his career. And he, as, as a starting quarterback, he was 86, 64, and 7, threw for 29,444 yards, 201 touchdowns, 149 interceptions. And that's exceptional for that era of football for it quarterback. Was amazing. I mean, year after year, he had big numbers in the league. Absolutely. So I think that's, that's a name that definitely I think we should have under consideration when we go to make our list at the end of this. Yeah, you know, he was the uh, MVP of the National Football League, too, in 1969. So, yeah, I think he might be one we'll have to look at. Plus, there's another reason. Here's my trivia about Roman Gabriel. Okay. To my research, which doesn't go back too far, maybe to this morning, he's the <laughs> only guy that I've been able to find that was in a movie with John Wayne. Oh. After his playing career... <laughs> He got into some acting. He was in TV shows such as Wonder Woman, Gilligan's Island, Perry Mason. And he was also in the movie with John Wayne called Undefeated. Well, he is in the College Pro Football Hall of Fame. So I think, yeah, excuse me, College Pro Football Hall. What a knucklehead. College <laughs> Hall of Fame, Football Hall of Fame. We, we knew what you were saying. We knew. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for bearing with me. <laughs> So who knows, maybe someday he'll get the call for the pro football home hall of fame yeah. as well. But yeah, I think he might be one we should consider for our top players that wore the number 18. Most definitely. Well, I guess we, we got to sort of get to the obvious choice who probably is going to be number one on our list. And that's got to be Peyton Manning. Yes. Uh, Peyton Manning just has, you know, has the resume of, uh, wow. It's maybe Tom Brady's the only one that has a bigger resume than his, 
right now, but uh, you know, he's in the hall of fame, 14 time pro bowl, you know, four, 14 times in the pro bowl, seven times as an all pro five time league MVP. It, it's just amazing. You know, the, the, the numbers that he put up for his career. Yeah. Five times MVP of the league and uh, comeback player of the year too. We sometimes forget that what he went through when he departed Indianapolis and uh and yeah, that was a so major neck injury, injury, too. Yeah, yeah. You didn't think he'd be playing again. So, um, of course, maybe my kids know him more as a uh, TV star now than uh, we know him <laughs> as a football player. <laughs> I think he'd have to be at the top of our list today. Yeah, I, I think he's a pr- probably our solid number one <laughs> mm-hmm. for that list. I don't think we're going to find anybody with a better resume than him. So I'm going to lock him at number one right now. All right. Um, I mean, j- just some of uh, Peyton's numbers out there. His quarterback, as a starting record as a quarterback, 186 and 79. Wow. He threw for just under 72,000 yards, 539 touchdowns, 251 interceptions. That's that's a great uh, career right there. It is rather astounding. Yes, it is. <laughs> but he had some good upbringing, though, with his father being uh, Archie Manning. Yeah, you think maybe it was in the blood. We don't know, but I guess it is. <laughs> and of course, brother uh, Eli, and there's a, a new Manning uh, coming up through the ranks now. I see uh, Arch Manning is getting heavily recruited at his high school to all the Division One schools want him. Yeah, and it's kind of amazing that even as a high school, I think he was a sophomore last year, that one of his games, at least that I saw, he was on national TV, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, Got a great bloodline there. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where do we want to go next with our, our study here? Let's see. How about a couple of kickers that wore the number? Okay. They may or may not be ones we'd uh, want to look at in our top 10. All right. Just a couple of quick ones. One was Herman Weaver. And uh, he was a kicker, came out of college. Um, he was named the NFC punter of the year in 75 and then sporting news once called him one of the top 20 punters of all time. So uh, he, he kicked for the lions for, I think he was 11 years in the league and he got an, his interesting name of Thunderfoot, which was given to him by the legendary in, in his own mind, uh, broadcaster Howard Cosell said the lions were preparing for Monday night football and Cosell of course is watching the players and Weaver went back to, to punt uh, uh, on the field practice before the game. And I guess it was a booming kick and that the highest point the ball hit was almost even with the press box, I guess. And uh, the next night on Monday night football, Cosell song come out, he called him Thunderfoot because when he kicked it high and it hit almost the press box, a blast of thunder went across the sky. Pretty dramatic, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a real dramatic. Cosell. <laughs> well, that's, so again, I don't know if uh, if Herman will be in our top ten. We had another interesting kicker called Joe Danello, uh, out of Spokane, Washington. <clears throat> Went to Washington State. At one time, he uh, he had his team record. He kicked for ten years with the Packers, the Giants, and the Buffalo Bills. Uh, kicked a team record fifty-five yarder for the Giants back in uh, 1981. It's since been broken. And one time kicked six field goals in a game, which tied a record, which has since been broken. But hmm. uh, a couple of bright spots for him, a guy, again, who wore number 18, but um, 
just to, to bring them in there and to say to Herman and, and Joe, we, we miss you guys, but I don't know if you're going to make our top 10 today. <laughs> yeah. But uh, wow, to have a nickname like Thunderfoot as a punter, that's gotta be, that's <laughs> and good nickname by Howard Cosell. That's impressive too. Yeah. 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 Well, I, another uh, person that I think that was in the hall of fame that we definitely should talk about is Emmett Thomas. Oh yes. Emmett was a, a great defensive back. Uh, Played most of his career with all of his career with the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, 1966 through 1978. Uh, good long career for a DB. He was, and um, twice led the league in interceptions. And he came from a school that no one ever heard of because it no longer exists, called Bishop College down in Texas. So again, another guy with a nice long career. His number 18 is retired by the Chiefs. Oh, okay. Uh, he was five times he made it to the Pro Bowl, one time as an All Pro, uh, two AFL championships, and one Super Bowl championship. So that's a great career there too. Fifty-eight interceptions with, and scored five touchdowns off of them. Yeah, a couple times he led the league in interceptions in '74. He had twelve, uh, two hundred fourteen return yards. So yeah, wow. Uh, having a nice guy in your in your defensive backfield like that that you could rely on that could get to the ball anytime it seemed like he wanted to. He was certainly a, a thorn for the opposing quarterbacks during his long career. That's for sure. And it's, you don't see number 18 as a defensive back anymore. I can't think of any other ones that are yeah, a number right. like that. Yes. So interesting. All right. Uh, where, where do we want to go next year? Well, we have a couple more hall of famers. Uh, okay. And the Thomas might be one. Uh, late in the sixties. Uh, we have uh, Charlie Joyner on there. Who's oh, yeah, uh, Charlie Joyner. Charlie well. Joyner is definitely a big name to, to talk about. Yeah, Charlie's one of those late bloomers. He didn't even play football till he was a junior in high school. Ended up with, I think like an 18 year career in the NFL though. Um, at the one time when he, when he played, he was 39 years old when his last season, I think he was the, uh, oldest receiver at that time that to, to play in an NFL game. So he had several records when he retired. Uh, he had most career receptions, receiving yards, and games played uh, at the time of his retirement. But uh, kind of neat for a guy who went to a small school, he went to Grambling and really didn't get much high school experience either. And he, the trivia of Charlie is he was the last active player in the NFL who played in the AFL. Oh, okay. Very. I was, I was wondering about that because I see he started in 1969 and I wasn't sure if they would, I guess that would still be the, the AFL then because the, the Jets uh, represented the AFL in the Super Bowl that year. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, oh, okay. So I think uh, Charlie Joyner's got the numbers, uh, you know, Hall of Fame three times in a Pro Bowl, one time as an All Pro. The records that you just talked about uh, when he left, uh, I think maybe. He grabs one of those spots. I don't, I'm not sure about you, but I, I would almost give him one of those spots right now. I think so. Yeah, he was okay. uh, quite effective. And I think we should consider him very strongly, not only for the list, but near the top of the list. Yeah, I, I think he's in. We'll put him. So we got Peyton Manning and Charlie Joyner so far. Two of those 10 spots are sewed up. And uh, so I guess our only Hall of Famer we haven't talked about yet is another great wide receiver, Randy Moss. Right. Yes. Randy had a real nice long career. 
uh, started off with the Minnesota Vikings, uh, played there for eight years. I didn't realize he played there that long. Uh, of course, New England with the Patriots it was there for four seasons, Oakland for a couple of years, and then had some cups of coffee with the San Francisco 49ers and the Tennessee Titans near the end of his career. Yeah, he had some amazing numbers, of course, six times all pro. Uh, he was named to the NFL's 100th anniversary team. And five times he led the NFL in receiving touchdowns. So uh, he over fifteen thousand dollars, fifteen thousand dollars, fifteen thousand yards in receiving yards uh, when he retired. So a uh, pretty amazing. One hundred and fifty-six touchdowns. That is a lot yeah. for a wide receiver. It's quite a- the impressive career again. And I keep saying impressive, but we're with some very skilled and very honored players tonight. And so I think Randy. Yep, he should be up there and top of our list as well okay we'll slot him in there i agree all right so now that's we covered our hall of famers we've got uh, three of them that we already put into our top 10 and we're going to look at some of the some other people before we decide on the other ones um i'd like to bring up another quarterback that's didn't make it into hall of fame but was significant and that's jim zorn jim was a, a lefty that came out of uh cal poly panoma or pomona and uh, had a great career, mostly with the Seahawks, but finished up his last couple of years in Green Bay and Tampa. But we always remember him as a Seattle Seahawk. Yeah, and he had some great numbers during those years. And even in, I think it was his rookie year, he led the league in attempts, 439 attempts. So he came out throwing. Uh, had a little problem with interceptions that first year or so. Um kind of corrected that as he moved on through his career, but a very effective starter for Seattle. And as we said, he finished up with Green Bay, uh, started a few games, and then a game with Tampa, one game with Tampa, then in 1987 before he retired, and then got into coaching, as we know. So he's been uh, around the league for quite a few years. Right now, he only wore the number 18 for one season. That's with Green Bay, and he really – only played five games with them, so didn't do a whole lot wearing the number 18, but he's definitely worth a, a name that's worth mentioning uh, in this conversation because he was a great player. It was, yeah. We have a, a couple other quarterbacks, I think, that we could talk about. Um, again, not in the Hall of Fame, but uh, Elvis Gerbeck. Oh, yes. A great name. Uh, he was a backup for when he started his career with uh, San Francisco, then came into his own mostly with, with Kansas City, I believe. Um, became a starter, had some really good numbers then, with uh, especially in the year 2000 with Kansas City. Um, 547 attempts, 326 completions for over 4,000 yards. So in that one year, he had about a quarter of his total career yardage. One of the uh, – here's another trivia for you. In 1998, People Magazine named him as the sexiest athlete in the country. Then later, that was a nice honor for him, found out it was a mistake, that the photographer was told to go out to take some photos of the Kansas City quarterback, Rich Gannon, got the two quarterbacks mixed up, and Elvis got named the sexiest quarterback over Rich Gannon. So (laughs) that has absolutely nothing to do with their playing ability, but... We have to find some trivia to keep to keep you interested tonight, Darren. Oh, that, that's definitely an interesting story, though. I thought it was going to be maybe the Elvis Presley connection that I got yes. at the mistake, but it was Rich Gannon who was supposed to get that honor. Wow, yeah. very interesting. 
Now, I, I, I didn't even know they had awards for sexiest athletes at all. <laughs> I think they have awards just about for anything right now that'll sell a magazine. That's for sure. That's, yeah. Now, there's say, Wade Wilson who wore number 18. Yeah. Long career with Minnesota. Monster numbers a few years. I shouldn't say monster, but really strong numbers uh, when he was playing. Um, only started to really one year, but managed to stay in the league even through the strike year of 82 uh, from 81 through 98. And just, a, again, a reliable backup guy who, who played in, with different teams after he left Minnesota. He was in Atlanta, uh, spent some time with Dallas, also Oakland. So he, he got around a little bit during that long, long career, but uh, his total career numbers were pretty good. 17,283 yards through for 99 touchdowns. Um, so around for a while, was worthwhile, made a nice career for himself. He most certainly did. Very good quarterback. Uh, like I said, mostly a, a journeyman backup quarterback, but he did have some great years there with Minnesota. He did, yeah. yeah. So definitely somebody to have under consideration for our, our final list. Now, I know there's another quarterback that you wanted to talk about and had a, a Chicago connection. Yeah, right. That'd be uh, Mike Tomsek. Had a Steelers connection, too. Yes, yes. Known for his career with the, the Bears and the Steelers. He was from Calumet City, Illinois. And you may remember the Blues Brothers movie. Which, uh, the Blues Brothers were trying to save an orphanage, which didn't exist, of course. It's fictional in <laughs> Calumet City. But Calumet City was known for its uh, Al Capone connections way back when, 100 years ago. Uh, it's, it's changed better now. But he played for his dad, Ron, at Thornton Fractional North High School, became an All-Stater, and led his team to the quarterfinals in the state of Illinois, which was uh, quite an accomplishment uh, TF North was not known to be a football school before father and son got there. And I always remember an article that appeared in one of the local papers where Ron Tomsack, who was a really a, a tough guy, uh, I remember his coaching and got to know him a little later in life when he moved to the same town where I'm in now, uh, along with his other son, one of his other sons, Steve. And uh, Mike said that his dad kind of prepared him for the likes of Mike Ditka during his professional career. He was tough, but they had a nice bond. And in high school, even Mike was allowed to call his own plays. And his dad reasoned that said in the newspaper that, well, he's been going to practice in games with me since he was two years old. So he knows exactly what I want out there. But <laughs> I thought it was a nice connection. So he, uh, he got some playing time with the Bears on uh, the Super Bowl in January of 86. He got in the game and promptly got a penalty. He was on a kickoff team, I believe, but later became a starter for both the Bears and the Steelers. Had some really nice numbers. Again, over 16,000 yards and 88 touchdowns, uh, but 106 interceptions. So so a couple of nice years, then became a starting quarterback for uh, in your area, the Steelers, as uh, his career went on. Yeah, he had a real, real nice, real nice season in 1996, and he came at the perfect time for the Steelers. Led him to a he was 10 and five as a starter that year, and threw for 2,700 yards. But of course, they they had a backfield to go with. Uh, I believe that's what the year the bus came in. So, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> he could hand the ball off to the best and uh, get some yardage, so he didn't have to throw so much. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, yeah, a nice career and. Uh, 
his dad unfortunately passed away, I think in 2007 or 2008. But uh, uh. yeah, Mike, uh, it was a nice story that the newspapers enjoyed in this area that uh, the father and son combination and now they were number 18. What the heck? So uh, right. Get to, talk to consider him for one of the top tens, perhaps. Absolutely. 15 years he wore that number 18 also. Wow. Well, uh, how about we turn the gears a little bit and talk about a couple wide receivers uh, that have wore the uh, recently, and they're still playing, actually. A.J. Green being one of them, uh, wore number 18 his entire career with the Bengals so far. Uh Started out in 2011, and gosh, it doesn't seem like he's played that long, but you know, 10, 10 years already he's played with the Bengals. Yeah, and more number 18 for those 10 years too, so that's uh, important for us tonight. That's for sure. Uh, he's been in the Pro Bowl seven times, had 65 touchdown catches, and has caught 649 receptions. And the Bengals weren't always a, a good team while he was there, too. So sometimes he was a major part of their offense through some mm-hmm. of his career. The injuries sort of bit him the last few years, though. Yes. Sort of derailed his career just a bit. But a great, great ball player there, somebody that can be under consideration. Uh, another receiver still playing is uh, Randall Cobb. Who you know started off with the Green Bay Packers and uh, since uh, has gone to um, the I believe Dallas and Houston. After that, uh, has had a real nice career. Caught uh, forty-seven touchdowns, five hundred and sixty-three receptions. Uh, another very solid uh, wide receiver in the league. I wanted to mention Kenny Britt, who. Um was the first ever Rutgers player to be selected in the first round. And he had a, a, a nine-year career uh, as a receiver, caught 329 passes for over 5,000 yards, and played for a few teams during his career, but lasted in the league from 2009 to 2017. And as I mentioned, picked up over 5,000 yards receiving. Very, very good numbers there. Uh, another wide receiver I'd like to bring up, how about Gene Washington? Uh, Gene, maybe uh, people of today don't remember him, but he played from 1969 to 1979. Uh, most of his career with the San Francisco 49ers, nine years there, one year with the Detroit Lions at the end of his career, but caught 60 touchdown passes, 385 uh, receptions, and just uh, just over 6,800 yards of receiving. So another nice uh, wide receiver there in the mix wore number 18 his whole career. Do you have anybody else that you want to bring into our, our mix here before we no, make I our think, decisions? Uh, I think I bored you with the ones that I really jumped out at me and wanted to make sure we got a couple of kickers in there as well, which we talked about earlier. Yeah, you got to bring the kickers in there because we're almost <laughs> out of the kickers numbers in our journey through the uh, 0 through 99 jersey numbers. Okay, so let's let's review. So far, we've got three spots that we said are locked up out of 10 for our greatest players in the NFL that wore number 18. That's Peyton Manning, Charlie Joyner, and Randy Moss. And we've we've got some other good names on there, and we've got seven spots to fill. Uh, who do we think should be our next one to go in our top 10? I think we've got to look at uh, a couple of the older folks, which would be Fats uh, Henry and Wolf Kiesling. Okay. All right. I, I don't disagree with you there. Let's uh, especially getting the endorsements that uh, they did, uh, you know, 
you have Walter Camp saying that you're a great player. You know, yeah. <laughs> that carries a lot of weight. The father of football. All right. So, so what do you think? What do you think about Roman Gabriel? He's not in the Hall of Fame, but I was looking back on his career now. I was really, really impressed. I was going to suggest him next, and I, I think he takes our sixth spot there. Roman Gabriel does, and uh, definitely a great uh, competitor. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if someday we see him in the Hall of Fame with mm-hmm. numbers like that, especially yeah, I think in the he year. Deserves it. Yeah, most definitely. And I, I think another one of our Hall of Famers, I, I would pound the table on a little bit. I think Emmett Thomas, with those numbers at the defensive back position and wearing the number for 13 years, I would say he's uh, deserving of being on our list also. I would agree, yeah, especially if we need a defender on there. <laughs> Most, yeah, we've got to take care of all those wide receivers <laughs> with somebody. So that's seven of our spots. We have three more to fill. And we let's see, we have uh, only one Hall of Famer left, but that's Len Dawson. It only worked for two seasons, uh, mm-hmm. but still, maybe we would consider him. Yeah. Uh, uh, see, somebody's. I I would, man, I I'd like to see one of those wide receivers we just talked about, and I'm I'm leaning towards AJ Green a little bit because I think he was definitely had some significant years in him and still might have some work left. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would I'm leaning towards him a little bit for one of those spots. Yeah. I would think so. I was thinking between him and Jim Zorn. Zorn had eight years really um that were really, really strong years. Would that be enough to qualify him though? And only one year wearing that jersey number, though. Yeah, that's what holds them back in our yeah. special poll tonight. Right. So, okay, I think so. We're in agreement. AJ Green goes in as our ninth uh, selection. So yes. What, we have one more, and if we had that that timpani drum roll, we could be playing that. Uh, right oh boy! You know, <laughs> hard to ignore Lynn Dawson. Yeah, I, I think you got to go back to Lynn Dawson. Wore the number for two years, but geez, he was a a great player. All right, I, yeah. I I agree with you. We'll go with uh, Len Dawson on there. So we'll put all seven of our Hall of Famers in. And uh, just to review, that's Peyton Manning, Charlie Joyner, Emmett Thomas, Randy Moss, Len Dawson, Pete Henry, and Walt Keesling. And then we added on some people that are not in the uh, Hall of Fame yet, Roman Gabriel, A.J. Green, and oh, maybe I'm missing one here. I think we have one more to go. Oh, maybe yeah. we do have one more. Okay. Yeah. You know, I like Frank Trapuca. <laughs> he wasn't a big star, but his story is his story is so cool. Well, we can't do that just because I uh, I favor his story. <laughs> well, you know, here's a name that I've I've failed to mention. And uh, how about uh, Jeremy Macklin? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Jeremy Jeremy wore the number eighteen uh, for a majority of his career. Uh, played with the Philadelphia Eagles, Kansas City Chiefs, and the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, so in his eight years, he wore the number six of those, number 18, six of those years. Uh, had a nice career, 49 touchdowns, 514 receptions. But uh, yeah, you know what? That, maybe that's not good enough because there's some receivers that uh, I think Cobb has more than, than him, better numbers than uh, Macklin does. Hmm. Yeah. Cobb wore the jersey for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm boy, I'm I think Cobb maybe is our 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 man to come in the, on the last spot. 
Yeah, if they're equal, we got to go with who wore the jersey longest. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, we'll give it give it to Cobb. Will be our final selection in our top ten greatest number eighteens in NFL history. Boy, Joe, that was fun. That was some great uh, trivia you had again, and some great stories. And uh, wow, that's some good stuff. Now, what do you have coming up uh, on your When Football Was Football podcast? Do you have anything interesting coming up in the next uh, week or so? Yeah, we hope so. Um, the week that this podcast will air, we're also launching one on the Green Bay Packers. And so you may ask, why the Green Bay Packers for someone who prefers Chicago sports? Well, we're going to go back to 1921, and that's when the Packers first visited Chicago. And I'm kind of showing, uh, treating it as a cultural thing of David versus Goliath. We had the Packers in the NFL with a population then of around 21,000, I think. And Chicago's population is pretty much the same as it is today, 2.7 million. And so the folks in Green Bay went all out. They not only uh, arranged for special trains, a marching band of lumberjacks, but they had a unique telegraph system. Talk about high tech. Well, well, wait a second. A marching band of lumberjacks. Did they like play their saws? Yeah, they dressed in corduroy and uh, they had lumberjack hats. This is the description from the newspaper. And they could play anything from classical to popular music, the newspaper said. So they were the lumberjack band that accompanied the Green Bay Packers when they made their first trip to Chicago. That had to be a sight to see for that parade. Yeah. (laughs) And there's rumor that some of the fans drank a little bit on their way to town. No. Paraded through the streets. That's just a rumor, though. (laughs) I think that's just an ugly rumor. (laughs) Well, that sounds like a a great episode. I can't wait to listen to that one when it comes out. do you have anything uh, you're cooking up for the future that you're you're thinking about doing? No, we're going to have an episode coming up in about a month um, on the career of Ali Matson. And I think we've wow. chatted before about Ali getting traded for nine players in 1959. But when you dig down deep, that trade didn't work out so well for Ali personally. And so we talk a little bit about that. And as we get closer to the draft, we're going to do a program on the the very first draft. I'm sure a lot of people will be doing that, but uh, the very first draft choice from the University of Chicago never played pro football. He did play pro pro football, but not in the NFL. So it's another interesting story we decided to dig into a little bit. So that'll be coming up uh, as well in the near future. Well, we can't wait for that one either. So a couple great uh, podcast episodes coming up when football was football with Joe Ziemba and Joe, we thank you once again for uh, sharing your time and your knowledge with us here on the pigskin daily history dispatch for our greatest 18s in NFL history. And uh, we thank you so much, Joe. Thank you, Darren. We, we look forward to it and hope we get to chat again in the future. This was a, a really a fun exercise an exercise. And I really enjoyed spending the time with you. Thank you. Oh, I have too. And I know we have your name down for a bunch more, so we will be hearing much more from you. So keep your, that pencil sharp and uh, the, the research going. <laughs> we will do so. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast.
we invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. 